Section 57 of The Cambridge Modern History, Volume 2, The Reformation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 15, Philip and Mary, by James Bass Mullinger, Part 4. To the reactionary feelings which were discernible in Mary's third parliament, the martyrdoms that had taken place between February and October 1555 had lent no slight additional strength, while those of Ridley and Latimer, only a few days before the assembling of her fourth parliament on October 21, must have been especially fresh in men's memories. The attention of the new house was first invited to the needs of the royal exchequer and gardener as chancellor exerted all his powers to induce the assembly to grant a substantial subsidy his demands were acceded to although not without some opposition and the gift of a million pounds the payment of which in the case of the laity was to be extended over two years in that of the clergy over four gave promise of effective relief the latter body, if we may credit Pole, accepting their share of the burden with exemplary cheerfulness. To Mary, however, this satisfactory result must have appeared dearly purchased, involving, as it did, the loss of her chancellor. In urging upon Parliament the necessities of the realm, Gardiner's oratorical efforts, combined with the dropsy from which he was suffering, brought on complete exhaustion and although he sufficiently recovered to admit not only of his removal from whitehall to winchester house but even of his presence at the cabinet councils which the ministers came from greenwich to attend it soon became apparent that his days were numbered on november twelve he died the reports which gained credit among his enemies of his penitence and self-reproach in his last hours have been shown by circumstantial evidence to be fabrications. Michiel, one of the least prejudiced, as he was certainly one of the most competent observers, recalls the late Chancellor's untiring energy, wide practical knowledge, keen insight into character, and consummate tact, and represents his loss as irreparable, an estimate which the undisguised joy of the French party at the event seems only to confirm. The great prelate was ultimately laid to rest in his own cathedral, to which he had bequeathed a third of his private fortune, and where his chantry chapel in the Renaissance style still preserves his memory. On the day preceding Gardiner's death, a bill was read in the House of Lords, whereby the crown surrendered into the hands of the roman pontiff the first-fruits and tenths of all ecclesiastical benefices for quote, the discharge of our conscience end quote, as mary subsequently expressed it in a series of instructions which she placed in the hands of pole but the bill when it came down to the commons at once gave rise to a warm discussion and was eventually carried against an ominous minority of one hundred twenty six six days later december nine mary dissolved parliament and two years elapsed before it met again in the meantime 
the royal purpose was becoming more inexorable and pronounced in the communications to pole above referred to mary gave it as her opinion that it would quote, be well to inflict punishment on those who choose by their false doctrine to deceive simple persons end quote. it was however her express desire that no one should be burnt in london quote, save in the presence of some member of the council end quote and that during such executions some quote, good and pious sermons should be preached end quote. it was probably under the belief that pole's better nature would exert a certain influence that philip when he departed for the low countries had advised mary to take the cardinal for her chief counsellor but firmness was never one of pole's virtues and when confronted by a stronger will in conjunction with that more practical knowledge of men and affairs in which he was notoriously deficient he deferred to the judgment of others and reluctantly acquiesced in a policy which he himself would never have originated but he still at times vacillated and as we have already noted would recommend the bishops to have recourse to gentle methods in their endeavors to reclaim heretics while in august fifteen fifty six he succeeded in setting free no less than twenty prisoners whom bonner had condemned to the stake it was possibly in anticipation of his resignation of the office of legatus alatere that pole aspired to succeed gardiner as privy seal for the incompatibility of the two offices was obvious the seal was ultimately at philip's suggestion bestowed on lord paget who as a layman and a statesman of known tolerance in religious questions succeeded on january twenty nine fifteen fifty six the chancellorship was not bestowed on thirlby now bishop of ely who had been discharging its duties as deputy and whose claims were favored by mary his known catholic sympathies rendering it inadvisable even in the eyes of philip to continue him in the office and on january one the great seal was conferred on heath archbishop of york pole however succeeded gardiner as chancellor of the university of cambridge and on march twenty two fifteen fifty six the day after cranmer was burnt at oxford he was consecrated to the archbishopric of canterbury under his auspices and with the aid of the royal munificence several of the foundations which had been swept away by mary's father in his anger at their contumacious resistance to his arbitrary decrees now rose again the grey friars reappeared at greenwich the carthusians gathered once more in their splendid monastery at sheen the brigantines reassembled at sion while feckenham abandoning his deanery at st paul's made his solemn entry into westminster as abbot of a body of benedictine monks who took the places of the expelled canons parliament had ceased from troubling and with the false teachers silenced the heretical books suppressed the authority of the ecclesiastical courts re-established the new primate might almost flatter himself that the ideal conditions contemplated in his reformatio angliae had become an accomplished reality the denunciation of the dudley conspiracy rudely dispelled this pleasing vision 
on Easter Eve, April 4, 1556, official intelligence was received of a new plot, having for its aim the seizing of Mary's person and her deposition, in order to make way for Elizabeth, who was to marry not Ferdinand, but Courtenay, a name still potent to conjure with, although the unfortunate nobleman was himself unambitious of the honor and then nearing his end which came to him in the following september near padua the plot itself in its origin was not suggestive of any very deep or widespread agencies being the outcome of a series of meetings among some country gentlemen in oxfordshire and berkshire sir anthony kingston sir nicholas throckmorton a friend of courtenay's who had already been pardoned for complicity in wyatt's rebellion sir henry peckham and sir henry dudley a relative of the late duke of northumberland further evidence however obtained at a considerable interval implicated not only noai the ambassador with whom dudley was in correspondence but also henry at whose court dudley had been received and his proposals favorably considered and finally elizabeth herself the fact that in the preceding february charles and philip had concluded at vaucelles a truce with henry which was to last for five years and included important concessions to france showed the faithlessness of the french monarch henry however advised the conspirators to defer the execution of their plans and to their disregard of this advice the collapse of the whole scheme appears to have been mainly attributable. Among the arrests made in England were those of two members of Elizabeth's own household. Of these, a son of Sir Edmund Peckham, one of Mary's staunchest supporters, turned King's evidence, and his testimony chiefly implicated Elizabeth. Again, however, Philip exerted his influence for her protection while the princess asseverated her innocence it was at this juncture may twenty five that noailles himself requested to be recalled he had indeed some fear of being arrested by order of the privy council his place at the english court was temporarily taken by a brother a councillor of the parlement of bordeaux and it was not until november two that Soranzo was able to report the arrival of the more distinguished brother, François, the proto-notary, and bishop of Ac or Dax, in the same capacity. To François de Noailles, Elizabeth confided her design of seeking an asylum in France. He, however, strongly dissuaded her from such a step, suggesting that her best policy would be to remain in England. In after years, the Bishop of Ac was wont to boast that Elizabeth was indebted to him for her crown. Lord Clinton had been instructed to make a formal protest at the French court against the countenance which Henry afforded to the English malcontents, but his remonstrance only drew from the king the splenetic observation that they were so numerous that they, quote, filled not only France, but the whole of Italy, end quote. In the Italian peninsula, indeed, Philip now found himself involved in relations far from amicable with the reigning pontiff. Carafa's aggressive nature, 
did not dispose him to judge charitably of others, while he was believed by Philip to harbor designs against his Neapolitan kingdom. The Pope was especially indignant when he heard of the truce of Vaucelles, and when in June 1556 dispatches were intercepted at Teresina, sent from the Spanish envoy in Rome to Alva, Philip's viceroy in Naples, describing the defenseless condition of the papal territory, his suspicions became certainty. In the ensuing month, his nephew, Cardinal Carafa, arrived in Paris to concert measures with Henry for expelling the Spaniard altogether from Italy. The personal ambition of the Guises favored the pontiff's projects, and war was ultimately resolved on. Paul cited both Charles and Philip before him as vassals who had been unfaithful to their feudal obligations, pronounced the latter deprived of his kingdom of Sicily, and detained the Spanish envoy a prisoner at St. Angelo. Alva issued a counter-manifesto and conducted his army into the papal territory, while late in December the Duke of Guise, in turn, made a rejoinder by crossing the Alps at the head of a considerable force. Such was broadly the political situation in Europe when the year 1557 opened. England, appearing leagued with Spain on the one hand, against France, aided by the temporal power of the Roman pontiff on the other, while Englishmen in turn were divided between sympathy with those of their countrymen who had fled from persecution and resentment at the manner in which they had deserted to the common foe. At Calais and throughout the English Pale, the exiles were now discovered to be concerting with the native Huguenot element the surrender to Henry of two important fortresses, those of Guine and Am, between Guine and Calais, a design which was defeated only by its timely discovery. It was at this juncture that Philip crossed over to Dover, and from thence proceeded to Greenwich, where Mary was residing. Two days later, the royal pair passed through London to Whitehall amid the acclamations of the citizens. The king's stay extended over nearly four months, March 18 to July 3, and to the majority, his visit appeared singularly opportune. The immediate object of his visit, to induce Mary to join him in his impending war with France, was one in favor of which his arguments might well appear irresistible. The Duke of Guise had already overrun his Neapolitan territory, and it seemed probable that the King of France would shortly conquer if not vigorously opposed, all that was still English within the limits of his realm. Again, and for the last time, Pole found himself involved in relations of difficulty with the House of Habsburg, and he was under the necessity of privately explaining by letter to Philip that diplomatic etiquette forbade that the legate of the Holy Father should meet his master's declared enemy whereupon he withdrew quietly to Canterbury. In April, however, his embarrassment received an unlooked-for solution by Paul's peremptory recall of his legates from the whole of Philip's dominions, 
and when king and queen joined in urging that the actual condition of england made the presence of a legate exceptionally necessary the pope at first sought to evade compliance by offering to appoint a legatus natus and to attach the office to the archbishopric of canterbury eventually however in a consistory convened on june fourteen he appointed william pito mary's former confessor thus substituting as phillips paul's biographer indignantly expresses it a begging friar for the royally descended cardinal at the same time the merciless pontiff cruelly wounded his former legate's sensitive spirit by insinuating that he was a heretic pole expostulated in an apology extending over eighty folio pages vindicatory of his whole career but paul never revoked the imputation which darkened the cardinal's remaining days while in the meantime philip and his queen were concerting measures with the council tidings arrived which imparted fresh force to the pope's representations on april twenty four thomas stafford a nephew of pole and a grandson of the last duke of buckingham had set sail with two ships from dieppe and having landed unopposed on the yorkshire coast had seized scarborough castle thence he issued a proclamation announcing that he had come to deliver england from the tyranny of the foreigner and to defeat quote, the most devilish devices end quote, of mary the rebellion if such it could be termed for stafford's appeal met with but slight response was speedily suppressed wotton's vigilance having given the government early intimation of his sailing and its leader with a few of his personal adherents were captured by the earl of westmoreland and sent to london stafford was found guilty of high treason and suffered the punishment of a traitor at tyburn may twenty eighth henry who designated stafford as quote, that fool and repudiated all knowledge of his mad undertaking had probably full information of what was intended and on june seven war with france was declared affecting to regard this step as simply further evidence of quote, the queen of england's submission to her husband's will end quote, henry at once ordered his ambassador at her court to present his letters of recall but francois de noailles had already been dismissed by mary on his way back to paris the latter stayed at calais and made a careful survey of the fortifications the ruinous condition of the outer wall more especially attracted his attention and on his arrival in the capital and being admitted to an interview with the king he expressed his belief that a sudden attack made by an adequate force on that ancient seaport would carry all before it before philip quitted england he received the gratifying intelligence that alva's fabian tactics had been successful against guise and that he had been finally driven from the neapolitan territory the mortification of paul was equally intense for he had scrupled at nothing to bring about an opposite result had suggested to soliman a descent on the two sicilies and had brought over mercenaries from protestant germany and all this in order to defeat the forces of the eldest son of the church 
when the duke of guise appeared to present his letters of recall the pope's fury passed all bounds of decorum Quote, you have done little for your king less for the church and for your own honor nothing End quote. such were paul's parting words although he little deemed how complete and how lasting the failure of the french intervention was to prove and that the habsburg rule was destined to remain unshaken alike in the north and south of the italian land until the war of the spanish succession on his return to brussels philip was accompanied by michiel surian who had been appointed ambassador to his court and the venetian republic henceforth maintained no resident envoy in england of english affairs it had recently received the elaborate report drawn up by giovanni michiel and presented to the doge and senate in the preceding may the king's first attention was now directed to the war with france to which he addressed himself with unwonted energy the signal victory of his arms at san quentin achieved mainly by a powerful division of spanish cavalry was attended by the capture of montmorency the french general and the dispersion with great slaughter of his entire army and three weeks later san quentin which barred the road to paris was surrendered by coligny the news was received with great rejoicings in london where a solemn te deum was sung and pole at mary's request conveyed her congratulations to her husband the conclusion of his letter is noteworthy quote, we are anxiously expecting news of some good agreement with his holiness which may our lord god deign to grant End quote. with the colonna already at the gates of rome even paul himself now became aware that to yield was inevitable rarely however has the victor used his success with greater consideration for the vanquished when naples and its territory had been brought back to submission alva repaired to rome and escorted by the papal guard into the pontiff's presence chamber there fell upon his knees imploring pardon for having dared even at the command of his temporal sovereign to bear arms against the church and was formally absolved and again in london there were bonfires and illuminations in celebration of a peace the peace thus effected between philip and the papacy although mary is described by michiel in his report as friendly to the scotch the aid which she afforded philip in his war with france almost necessarily involved hostilities with the former nation in whose midst mary of lorraine as regent had been for some time past installing her countrymen in official posts with undisguised partiality the betrothal of the queen of scots to the dauphin and the intimate relations which the regent had throughout maintained with the french court served still further to strengthen the political alliance between the two countries it was consequently no surprise when in october fifteen forty seven it became known in london that the regent had built a fortress to prevent english forces from marching to the relief of berwick that scottish troops were ravaging the country south of the tweed 
that there had been a massacre of some english troops which had ventured to land in the orkneys and that a battle between the forces of the two nations on the frontier was regarded as imminent the intelligence of the great disaster sustained by the french arms at st quentin gave pause however to the scottish ardour a council was convened in the church at eckford where the expediency of continuing the war was discussed the decision being in the negative the invading force was consequently disbanded having achieved little more than the distraction for a short time of the attention of england from the war with france and a certain addition to her military expenses on april twenty four fifteen fifty eight the marriage of Mary, Queen of Scots, with the Dauphin was celebrated with great splendor in Notre Dame, and to not a few it seemed that France, by a less costly process than armed conquest, had effected a virtual annexation of Scotland. In the following November, the National Council, assembled at the Palace of Holyrood, decided to confer on the King Dauphin, as Francis was now termed in Paris, the crown matrimonial at nearly the same time that francois de noailles account of the neglected condition of calais was communicated to henry michiel in his report had described the town as an almost impregnable fortress garrisoned by five hundred soldiers and by a troop of fifty horse writing on january fourth fifteen fifty eight he had to inform the doge and council of ten that the capture of calais was imminent two days later lord wentworth notwithstanding his gallant defence was compelled to surrender to the duke of guise the only condition that he could obtain being that the lives of the inhabitants and of the garrison were to be spared they were allowed however to take nothing with them the soldiery giving up their arms the citizens all their worldly possessions a fortnight later the garrisons of guine and am also surrendered although on somewhat less humiliating terms the expelled population of calais betook themselves mostly to england where their destitute and homeless condition served still further to increase the widespread indignation at the supineness and stupidity as well as the suspected treachery whereby the last stronghold of english power in france had been irrevocably lost early in the year mary again became a prey to the delusion that she was about to become a mother and philip was at once informed he affected to entertain no misgiving and before the end of january the count de feria who had married jane dormer one of the queen's maids of honour was sent over to convey the king's congratulations england was already known to the new ambassador who now assumed a foremost place among the royal councillors de feria however had conceived a thorough contempt alike for english institutions and the english character he had been instructed especially to urge two important measures the equipment of a fleet for the defence of the coasts and the enrolment of an army to guard the scotch marches 
and he was unable to comprehend the slowness of the process by which the necessary supplies were eventually raised when he also noted the apparent affluence and well-being of london and the surrounding districts like antoine de noailles before him he pronounced the english character to be singularly changeable and wanting in firmness of purpose his surprise however must be interpreted as illustrating rather the relative comfort in which the population lived as compared with the invariably scanty fare and wretched huts of the people in spain otherwise the prevalence of ague fever an epidemic which raged with terrible fatality in the summer and autumn of the years fifteen fifty seven and fifteen fifty eight together with the dearness of corn the languishing state of trade and agriculture and the heaviness of taxation contributed to render the general condition of the country depressing in the extreme while the popular dissatisfaction became further intensified when it was known that philip was employing the new marine exclusively for his own purposes the disappointment and chagrin which weighed on mary's spirits during the last few months of her life were deepened by her increasing ill-health and her morbid condition both of mind and body appeared to not a few to be finding expression in the revival of religious persecution but the recurrence of secret meetings open manifestations of fierce discontent together with the malevolence which assailed spaniards even in the streets of the capital may be accepted as affording a sufficient explanation of the renewed severities which marked the administration of bonner's court where treason and heresy had become almost synonymous although however opinion may differ with respect to the degree and character of the chief influences in operation it is undeniable that feelings of aversion on the part of the people from foreign rule and papal authority and of sullen resentment at the humiliation of the english name and the squandering of the national resources were alike becoming intensified when in the early morning of november seventeenth mary of england passed away to be followed a few hours later by archbishop pole both eminent examples of the inadequacy of deep convictions and pious motives to guide the state aright end of section 57 recording by linda johnson